0: Welcome to AppSec Builders, the podcast for practitioners building modern AppSec, hosted by JB Avia.
1: Welcome to the first episode of AppSec Builders. I'm JB Avia, and today I'm proud to welcome Tanya Jenka to discuss race conditions. Race conditions are a common class of vulnerabilities in APIs or applications with business logic, which aren't very well known. For instance, they aren't part of the OWASP top 10. Tanya will also tell us more about the application security book she just finished writing and about her company that just came out of stealth mode. Our guest today is Tanya Jenka, also known as She Hacks Purple. She's the founder of We Hack Purple, an online learning academy dedicated to teaching app security, DevSecOps, and cloud security. Tanya is devoting lots of her energy into democratizing security. And she also is the host of an amazing podcast where inclusion and diversity shine through. You have experience working at several software companies such as Microsoft, Adobe and Nokia and have had varying roles across security and engineering throughout your career as pen tester, CISO, AppSec engineer and software developer. So Tania, I think you, you wrote a book recently. Would you like to tell us a bit about it?
0: Yes. So my book is called Alice and Bob Learn Application Security. Do you remember the characters of Alice and Bob when they first explained what encryption was?
1: Of course. Who doesn't?
0: <laughs> yeah. So when whenever I would give examples, I would always say, you know, it's not Alice's fault or or Bob's fault It's that, you know, a safeguard was broken and that's how this happened to Alice or there was a security header missing and that's how it happened to Bob. And so I'd always weave them into things. And when I was trying to decide what to name my book that was all about application security, I'm like, well, all my examples will be Alice and Bob. So maybe it should be called Alice and Bob Learn. And it's a textbook written in casual language to try to make it really easy to understand. And it's basically the very beginning of AppSec, like how to do security requirements, how to design a secure web app, what is secure coding and what are all the things I need to do? What does that security header mean and why do I have to have it? All the way up to, you know, all the different types of security testing all the different types of tools or activities that exist, how to build an AppSec program. Basically, I was like, I'm going to take my brain and put it into a book (laughs) with jokes.
1: Who's the (laughs) ideal reader of your book? Is that developers interested in security, AppSec engineers?
0: I would say definitely an AppSec engineer would want to read the book or any software developer. I would say that other areas of IT that want to know about security should read most of it. So there's a bunch of chapters like how to secure your own digital privacy and things like that. And the ideas of what is secure design and what are all these security concepts and what do they mean and how do I apply them? And so I would say at least half of the book, almost anyone in IT could easily read and understand. But then there's two chapters that are just like, here's a lot of code. I'm getting really nerdy and I can't help it. (laughs) (laughs)
1: So you you sent me the table of content of the book and I really enjoy reading it. So like way before I uh, planned this podcast, I bought three versions of the book to share with the team. We have a team of 35 engineers and so uh, scaling security is something that is uh, really on my mind. And so I'm super excited about uh, receiving that book because I think that would be the perfect introduction to that. Knowing your background of software developer for 10 years, if I'm correct?
0: 17. 17. I'm older 17 than I look. Yeah, oh my I, start, God. I started coding like in the mid 90s and then got my first job in 1997. And I was like, oh my God, I'm a professional.
1: Congrats, Tanya. <laughs> but you've been a developer specifically for 10 years, right?
0: More than that, yeah. Yeah. Like mostly I did software development for 17 years and then I've done security for six or seven years now.
1: Yeah. All right. OK. And so from my point of view, that's like the best way to get into AppSec because the people who are making your job basically are software developers. And so being a former software developer is just amazing to be able to understand them and just help uh, they ship software, I, uh, I believe.
0: I think that the best way to make application security engineers is just find the software developers that are super interested in security and then just feed that interest like oh here's a book for you oh i listened to this podcast oh i'm gonna go do this do you want to come until eventually you hire them to the security team (laughs) my evil plan
1: (laughs) smart smart we will try that internally maybe and i've seen that one part of your book is on several different vulnerabilities Is race conditions one of them, uh, Tanya? (laughs) Yes, it is, JB. (laughs) Unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd like to introduce the race condition uh, vulnerability with an analogy. And after, we can uh, definitely jump in one of your favorite examples on that, uh, Tanya. Okay. So let's assume that you have $50 remaining on your bank account. So you go to an ATM to empty your bank account that you can only do once. But if you arrange with a friend to withdraw the money simultaneously from two different ATMs, will it work? So if it does, it means that you have successfully exploited the race conditions. Congrats. Race conditions is a category of vulnerability that often does not come from misusing a specific library. It only comes from using shared resources and forgetting that those resources are shared. And shared resources are legion in particular in web programming with databases or cache. As opposed to, for instance, injection bugs, a code can be 100% bug-free when you look at it, but still present some race conditions. So race condition bugs require the software engineers to think of their code with one more dimension in mind, and this dimension is time. So if you're into security, you can think of it as an adversarial context what's happening if a part of the code is executed in parallel. For instance, what happens if any shared resource changes state at any point of this function's execution? And this is what makes this class of bugs extremely hard to detect in most setups. And so, Tanya, you were the one actually suggesting race conditions as a subject for this episode. So I think you have some particular history or examples that you like with this uh, class of vulnerability, right?
0: Yes. In my first programming job, I had a race condition with my boss. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the human race condition.
0: Yeah, we we would design these bill of materials types of applications. And basically, I figured out that if I didn't lock the resources, that the things he was programming could come and steal the resources that I was trying to use. And so we made custom software for all these different manufacturing plants. So it wasn't beautiful, gooey stuff, like things that, you know, web applications. It was all that back-end stuff where you just see a terminal. And I remember saying, like, Bill, you stole my and I can't remember, it was like some part number. Okay. <laughs> <I'm like, "Hey." laughs> and he said, Oh, you have to put a lock on it. And then we had a discussion about race conditions. And It's like, oh, that's interesting. I never knew that. Same with if, you know, someone goes and edits a file in a shared folder, and then you try to open it, you know, Microsoft Word, for instance, it'll say, no, that's in use, right? Because it's a race condition. And then, you know, we get, as my career moved on, I got to use different types of code repositories to save my code. I had to work in bigger teams because I started at startups. And then... I was like, well, what if we both want to edit this giant program? You can't just lock the whole program. So we had to learn about merging, which was also good. And so when I was writing the book, everyone kept asking, are you gonna cover the OWASP top 10? And I was just like, it's such a tired list. Like everyone (laughs) knows it. And they're like, someone reading your book might not know it. You can't not cover the thing, everyone knows. And so I decided I would do a whole chapter about all sorts of common mishaps So common issues that you find, and so I included the top 10, but I didn't want to just be the top 10, so I covered all sorts of things that are issues that you as a pen tester might find and issues that you as a software developer might inadvertently create, and one is race conditions. And so the example I used in the book, so I really like Starbucks. (laughs) (laughs)
1: So I do as well. Better customer for the past three months because our coffee machine was forbidden for health safety reasons (laughs) in the (laughs) office. So big customer of Starbucks for the last three months.
0: I actually had a vendor ask me to advertise their event recently, and they tried to bribe me with a Starbucks card. And I was just like, hey, (laughs) I'm not that cheap. (laughs) But in the vulnerability, basically a security researcher, they realized, oh, well, if I load money onto one of the cards and then transfer the money to a bunch of different cards at the exact same time, I can put on... $5 to card number one, but card number two, three, four, five, six, I can put that $5 onto all of them at the exact same time. So then my $5 turns into $25. And he just kept doing the circle with the cards. And then eventually he's like, okay, so I can reproduce this. Boom. I have a race condition. And so then he submitted it. And so you shared an article with me that Starbucks didn't have a responsible disclosure program, but the article that I quoted in the book was actually how he did it as part of their bug bounty program. So I'm not sure what happened, but they they did give him a reward. I have to say, like, that person's really honest because I really like their mocha beverages. <laughs>
1: And so that's a great uh, example with uh, real life implications. And another uh, example I found that is similar is GitLab. And so the bug was publicly reported because GitLab is open source. So a user would be able to approve a merge request multiple times and so potentially reaching the approval count required to merge it. So here... We can simply guess that like the code checks if the user is authorized to approve the request, then updates the approval. And if several requests are executed at the same time, then several will complete the checks more or less at the same time and perform the updates concurrently, leading to this check bypass and to a pull request being uh, authorized. So pretty common class of vulnerability. And as you mentioned, uh, Tanya, pretty easy to slip into uh, programs because I'm not sure that's something that you are really teached at school or not extensively. And you need to experience that kind of bugs.
0: I feel in school, at most universities, they just don't really teach security thoroughly enough to ensure that they're making secure software at the end. Like, I haven't seen a school that teaches race conditions. I mean, I haven't checked all the schools. I would love to be corrected. But there are some universities on the island that I live on, and I have lots of their students come and they say, I wish they taught this in my school. I'm like, they can. I wrote a book. <laughs> 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 like, I I feel like race conditions and all the, you know, the OAS top 10 and all the other things that I know you're going to talk about from episode to episode on this awesome podcast you're starting. Like, I wish that there was a way we could get the word out to all the software developers so that if they know it exists, then they know to try to watch out for it,
1: right? Yes, I am sure they would. But you have a lot of things you need to learn as a developer. And so security is one amongst many. And yes, I think uh, if we wanted to perfectly train software engineers, it would take not a two years, not a five years training, it would be much more. And There are so many things that you learn when you start actually working in a company that you never touched at school that I don't think we could uh, ever have a complete developer training just because the field is too broad. And so that's something we will touch uh, after is uh, how tools could uh, help developers actually write better code without race conditions in in that case.
0: Do you think maybe they should all just subscribe to your podcast? Do you think that could help? (laughs) (laughs)
1: so maybe they should that's a good uh, introduction and maybe they (laughs) should all read your book tanya that's uh, a that's an option as well (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) when when will be the first translation
0: i don't know when the translations are going to start for the book i guess it depends on how well it sells in english
1: well i'm crossing fingers to to have it in french someday
0: i know i speak french but my French isn't beautiful. It's not my first language. So it's a bit chunky. So no one wants me translating the book into French because it'll sound like a dictionary threw up. But I'm actually translating my training courses at We Hack Purple into French. And oh my God. Yeah, I hired a friend, like a teacher who gives talks, like she's a famous APSEC person to teach in French. Her name's Nancy Griche. And then I actually also have hired Vandana Verma to translate our courses into Hindi. Because I don't know if amazing. you know, there's an a- amazing, huge technology industry in India and there's just, they're amazing, right? And so of course. it's like, let's let's see if this works. So hiring awesome AppSec ladies who speak different languages, I'm like, this could only be good.
1: Of course, of course. And so we mentioned about two different race conditions bugs in like... Business code, right? One is the in the QSUM, Starbucks code, the other was in GitLab, but you have more. And so not only in QSUM code, there were um, a famous one called Dirty Cow, which is a race condition inside the Linux kernel. And so that was a pretty big deal when released in 2016, because it allowed a reliable and local privilege escalation on most Linux machines. So here, the issue was that the kernel didn't check coherently for the memory permissions prior to allowing writing. And so the exploit allowed uh, anyone on the Linux machine to get root.
0: Yes. I remember you telling me how you named the meeting rooms after vulnerabilities. Yes, (laughs)
1: Yes, <laughs> yeah, good, uh, good memory, uh, Tanya. So all of our meeting rooms at SCREEN have the name of Vulnerabilities. So I'm currently sitting in Venom. We also have uh, Earthbleed or Spectre. I see you happy with uh, Venom. Do you like the- <laughs> I love <laughs> Do you it, like this I one? love it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Do you have one called Heartbleed and then everyone goes there, you know, when they, they're sad?
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. So I didn't, but we do have a box of tissue in that meeting room. So maybe, yes, there is a pattern sheet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> in 2016, I was in a band. So I've been a professional musician most of my life. And our band was called the Zero Day Reapers. And we oh. had a song <laughs> called Heartbleed. And I was telling them we can't write a song called Dirty Cow. Because it just sounds—it <laughs> sounds too bad. It sounds like I'm calling another woman names, and I just can't do it.
1: <laughs> I understand, and so I wanted to name a meeting room "Dirty Co." But mm, double thinking about that—if uh, <laughs> you if you if you set someone in a for a meeting in a, in "Dirty Co," the the meaning <laughs> is strange. And uh, another uh, vulnerability that I love because I was uh, working at uh, Apple before screen is the go-to-fail vulnerability. That was a vulnerability (laughs) in uh, Apple SSL.
0: Go-to-fail.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Yes. Let's have this uh, very important meeting about your career (laughs) in (laughs) go-to-fail.
0: Oh my gosh. Could you imagine? People are like, no, can we just please, can we please meet in the dirty cow room? Not go to fail.
1: <laughs> yes, you have a scale of, uh, of a meeting room uh, names quality. Absolutely. Well, so we, we have none of them, uh, but thankfully more and more vulnerabilities are, are being released. So our next meeting rooms will have uh, still uh, some names, I'm sure. And so we can even find things that are lower level than the Linux kernel. One of the amazing race condition vulnerabilities is called spurious DB or Pup SS vulnerability. And so that's a race conditions that originated from the CPUs. So in 2018, two researchers realized that all of the major operating system vendors misunderstood the Intel manual for 64-bits architectures. And in order to prevent privilege escalation or crashes, all the major operating system vendors, Microsoft, Linux, macOS, Xen, they pushed updates simultaneously to all of their operating system to prevent this kind of things. And so that was a race condition happening when a process was giving back control to the operating system. So pretty amazing to see that those race condition vulnerabilities have a super large spectrum from custom code to uh, almost hardware issues.
0: Yes, if all of the vendors misunderstood the manual, maybe the manual was wrong. Do you know what I mean? If everyone reads it and interprets (laughs) it the same wrong way, it's like, well, I remember them asking us to read the manual in school when we took Assembler. They're like, oh yeah, just read the the programming (laughs) guide for the architect, you know? And I was just like, no no, I'm never going to be a low-level programmer. They made us switch to machine code and stuff. I'm like, this is awful.
1: <laughs> I understand. And what a couple of friends and myself did during engineering school, we ordered the Intel manual. And so they were sending you for free, like five or six huge books of the Intel manual printed in paper. And it was like my only furniture as a student, basically. But it looked great in my uh, <laughs> in my student room. <laughs>
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: I actually saw a talk. So one of the first conferences I went to was B-Sides Ottawa. And this guy gave a talk about a race condition at this place where he buys pants. And so he was wearing the pants. And he's like, these are my favorite <laughs> pants. They're by this company. And then he showed us the race condition that you could do with a coupon. So he's like, yeah, you put it in and then you have multiple shopping carts and you just press go on all of them at the same time. And he's like, so once a year, they give you this 50% off coupon, but it's only good for one pair of pants. But I need more than one pair of pants per year. And then he showed us how to do it. And if he hadn't reported it to the manufacturer, I was just like, you're showing us how to steal, buddy. And people are like, it's a security conference. What did you expect? I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so shocked.
1: So writing software is hard, right? We see here that those race conditions, are, vulnerabilities are pretty easy to be put into software. So we had several examples. And so we know that software engineers, they need all the way they can get from the machine. And so... As most things in software engineering, the space is evolving quickly, and there are a lot of tools and solutions to help software engineers with race conditions. So some solutions are pretty old, like the support of transactions in databases that would prevent like the Starbucks one, the GitLab one, the PENs. One, and this is supported in most ORM, most libraries to interface with databases, just I think many developers just don't know about it. And another point is you could have help at the language level to prevent trace conditions. So on that side, there are been huge improvements in modern languages such as Rust or Go, for instance. Tanya, are you aware of some tools or tactics to prevent or spot trace conditions?
0: I feel like testing is really important. I know that there's a race condition open source tool that I meant to look up actually before because I thought about it earlier this morning and I meant to look it up. So Aaron Natu, he actually uh, open sourced a race condition testing tool, which I'm definitely going to look up for you the name of so that you could share it in the show notes.
1: Please, yes.
0: And it basically just tries to do multiple connections at the same time to see if there's a lock or not on whatever the
1: resource is. Ah, that's perfect.
0: I would say, though, that using modern frameworks and programming languages like Rust, like Go, is a good start. But I think that testing and code review, I know that like people are like, code review, not that sexy. Code review catches lots of problems.
1: <laughs> they do. Right? They do.
0: Like using a, a SaaS tool to review to see, like, oh, it appears that you're not putting a lock on this transaction.
1: Of course, but to do that you do need that either the writer either the reviewer is aware of phrase conditions yeah. right because the issue is still uh, possible and if as we said, uh, software engineers are not aware of phrase conditions at some point of their career, then that's something you will miss. But obviously I agree with the code review thing.
0: I'm gonna be a little biased here because my startup, we hack purple gives training. But I think training could help.
1: <laughs> I see you I see you trying to
0: hold back the laughs. But I'm just like don't just talk about your company Tanya.
1: Don't do it. No, but, and so that's actually something because my thinking is that uh, it's hard to train all of the developers about security. Maybe we just need to train a subset of them. But if you think of it, software engineers at school, some of them will do web programming. Some of them will do embedded programming. Some of them will do something completely different, but... One common trick here is the security. No matter what you do, you may have race conditions, very likely. So you may not have XSS if you don't work with HTML. You may not have SQL injections if you don't work with SQL databases. But injections vulnerabilities are everywhere. So yes, there could be like uh, some varnish on that.
0: I'm a big fan of security champions programs. Before I even knew that they existed, I accidentally started one because I'd started an AppSec program and I was kind of learning on the fly. And basically I started giving software developers a copy of OWASP's app because it's easy to use and it's free and my budget was zero. And and before I knew it, I had on each team that one person that was super into scanning, that was super, hey, Tanya, I found this. Let's talk about it. And so I just kept encouraging them and sending them more stuff. I dragged them to OWASP with me, right? And before I knew it, I had a team of champions that would do all the awesome stuff. And so, you know, if you have a team that's doing embedded and you have a team that's doing web and another team that's doing something else, If you could have that one person that's kind of got your back, the person that is, you know, security minded, that's obsessed with security, and you can encourage that person. Like, that's the person where I'm like, I'm going to buy you a book about, you know, embedded systems and security and how to secure them, et cetera. Right. And then you send, you know, oh, I saw this cool conference talk you might like, et cetera. And you kind of focus more on those people even if you aren't allowed to start a formal security champions program, because quite often I'm not always given permission to do things immediately. So I just do them quietly. And <laughs> <laughs> that's one option that you could do, right?
1: I think, yeah, it's the better way to prove that it works and then get allowance.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you also could get the time with them because you won't be allowed to have time with an entire team on a regular basis. They'll be like, JV, you can't have one hour with the embedded team every week, but maybe you could have one hour with one member of the embedded team every week, right? And maybe if you're having coffee, it looks like you're on a break and you just happen <laughs> to buy the coffee and you just happen to give them a book, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. The security champion is a great technique. I agree. You have seen it working in several different uh, contexts, Tanya?
0: Oh, I've done security champions where it's a really formal program and we're like allowed to name them. I've advised clients where they said, we started a security champions program and it's not going well. And I said, how did you find your champions? And they said, we just chose people at random and told them that was their thing. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like a disaster. So you just chose people at random and told them they have a lot of extra work that they're not getting paid for. Awesome. Awesome. That they don't want to do that they're not interested in great i'm surprised that that didn't work out extremely well i'm like what type of recognition are you giving them and they're like why would we give them recognition for doing their job I'm like, okay <laughs> so let's have a different talk even if it's just free starbucks copies once a week when you meet
1: them yes <laughs>
0: that is a reward right <laughs>
1: Yes, but those are companies that might have other management problems. But that's another that's another another
0: story. podcast <laughs> episode you need to have.
1: <laughs> Maybe and so you mentioned testing actually as a good way to find rest conditions. So I didn't know about your your friend's tool. So I'm looking forward to know more about that. And there are two things that I have in mind. It's the Go race detector that is pretty old. So uh, from September, 2012. And so the Go team is saying that it found 42 race conditions in the Go standard library.
0: Wow, that's amazing.
1: So that's yes, amazing. testing very good option, and there is another one for C program that is called Tsan on the Clang uh, compiler thread sanitizer, and that will also work well to find a lot of race conditions as Clang has knowledge of all the intrinsics about locks and everything that the compiler is placing. So that's that's a good uh, place to find for race conditions.
0: Let's spell that because clang is a weird word. It's not even a word. So it's C-L-A-N-G for C++ or clang has T S A N. So that's T-S-A-N. Because when you're saying it, I was like, yeah, I don't know how to spell that. And if someone's going to want to look that up after DuckDuckGo, they're going to be like, ah, clang. What's that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that plus my French accent. Uh, yes. So thanks a lot for spelling that, Tanya. No all problem. The, all the resources will be shared after the podcast, of course. So, uh. Also,
0: yes. I believe you mentioned Safe Rust when we were talking earlier. Yeah, Do you want absolutely. to tell them about Safe Rust? Because Rust is awesome. And I'm kind of excited about Rust because it's a memory safe language that's low level like C and C.
1: Yeah, born at Mozilla. And so Rust has a lot of guarantee out of the box to prevent uh, data races enforced at compile time. So in safe Rust, safe Rust is like the default Rust mode. So if you don't leave it, you will have those guarantee. uh, apply to your uh, to your thing. And I noticed that there is a, a university in Germany that is doing actually a, a, like a formal investigation of the Rust Safety Guarantee by PhDs. So we might have a lot of evolutions on that side uh, sooner.
0: I love that. I love that academia is helping. Good job, academia.
1: Yes. Well, so many things uh, burned out of there. And especially in uh, like informal uh, compilers and languages uh, indeed. And so... On the other hand, there are another thing that can help prevent race condition, that is awareness. And so there is one thing that is the feeling of immunity that some, some tools may provide. And so one misconceptions have often heard about Node.js, so I love Node.js, that's not the question. People tend to say that in Node, you cannot have race conditions because Node has only one thread. And so... That's incorrect. That's a misconception. And so Node has a lot of threads, like you have one for the main loops. Yes, you have four for asynchronous operations out of the box. If you just spawn a simple Node script in, a, like on macOS, you will have seven threads out of the box. And so that creates a lot of opportunities for things to mess up. And so even if you have only one thread, obviously Node, Express, or Koa, or whatever the web framework you are using, will serve several HTTP requests concurrently. And so obviously the risks regarding race conditions are exactly the same than in uh, any other language.
0: Yeah. I feel like people only talk about the OWASP top 10. So I was really glad when you said, can we talk about a vulnerability? And I chose something that was not in the top 10 and you actually said yes. Like all these examples throughout this podcast, I feel... First of all, I'm hoping that helps whoever's listening. But second of all, I feel like if we don't talk about these things and we only just talk about the OWASP top 10 over and over, software developers and even security people think, oh, okay, so we've handled everything. Like, And having these misconceptions that Node just has one thread all the time and it's like, actually, that's not true.
1: So I believe that some of the methodologies that you, you described in your book and that are pretty common about the more security mature actors across the industry are pretty common. So could you share with us what kind of successful facts you have seen about security programs or things that could uh, help arrest uh, people from putting in such mistakes?
0: So this is my favorite topic. So I like how you've really teed it up for me. So AppSec programs create a formal, secure development lifecycle. So that means having security requirements for every new app. That means... When you have the design phase, doing a whiteboard with a security person and having them raise issues with you, doing a threat modeling session, following secure design concepts, like applying least privilege or assume breach and all of these things while you're designing to make sure that it is secure. And then during the coding phase, having a secure coding guideline that possibly mentions race conditions, (laughs) like... Lock your transactions. If you have a transaction fail partway through, always fail, close and reverse the transaction no matter what. Also, you know, you can do scanning during the code phase. You can do software composition analysis during the code phase. Like you can even do some testing. You can write unit tests and you can add security to some of the unit tests, which is awesome. And then while you are doing your testing phase, they oh, There's so much good testing, JP. There's so much. There's so many awesome tools on the market. I know that Screen makes a tool. And there are just like so many good types of testing you can do. And you can do manual testing, and that's awesome. But there's also just, of course, you're going to use a tool. You're not going to do everything manually. We don't have time to do all the things we want to do. And so things you could do, like you could have a bug bounty program. And you could put race conditions in scope right? Like specifically suggest that they should look for it. But first you want to look for it yourself, right? You could hire a pen tester to do a security assessment or a penetration test and just like beat the living tar out of your app. I'm a big fan of that. You could have red team exercises. You could definitely talk about it during your... So I like to call it whiteboarding. I just, I like to go and meet with all the different teams and say, could you just tell me about your design? And I'm just going to draw it on the board. And then I just threat model and ask interesting questions. Like, if you were going to hack your app, how would you do it? Because, oh my gosh, they have the most evil answers.
1: (laughs) That's actually the most interesting way to do that, and I think that's also a smart way to look for it, because if you manage to brainstorm the system design with the team who built it, they know exactly what it does, how it does it. It's actually the best time to really get all the security insights you might have and ask all the questions and ask very, very candid questions, which sometimes the team is not able to answer because you need like a twisted security mindset sometimes to think about some stuff, right?
0: I feel that every software developer is a hacker, but what we would call an exploit, they call a workaround. (laughs) Because when I was a software developer, I would hack things all the time, but I didn't understand that I was exploiting a vulnerability.
1: So I think you teased me while we were preparing this with uh, something you've been working on for a while, right?
0: Yes. Oh yes. I forgot we were going to talk about this because (laughs) I have been under NDA super secret hush hush since December. So since the beginning of January, I have been working with a startup called clouddefense.ai. I can finally say it and tell people, yes. So I'm their technical advisor, and I've been helping them with a bunch of stuff. And basically, they have made this super cool, I don't know what to call it, because you know how there's DAST and SAS, there's all these categories, but their tools, an amalgamation tool. So basically, it does secret scanning, SAST, DAST, licensing, SCA we have just all these different things that it does, all simultaneously. And it can actually do it for multiple apps all at the same time. And then it takes all that information and puts it into the same dashboard so that you can do vulnerability management. So I'm obsessed with metrics and numbers. And I'm obsessed with being able to get the results from all the different tools and look at it. And so I was like, what if we made a product that did it. And so we are just starting to take on customers now. And so I'm ridiculously excited that we are finally out of stealth, like literally just like two days ago. (laughs) Congratulations. You you can tell people because (laughs) I I would tell people like, do you want to meet my super secret stealth thing? And you had to sign an NDA and all of this. But every time I would send them, we would be super overwhelmed because there were so many things like Because a whole bunch of customers, you know, I'd send them like 20 leads, right? And they're just like, ah, we don't have enough people, but we have bulked up and scaled and we feel that we are ready to talk to the public. And it's so exciting. Oh my gosh.
1: Clouddefense.ai?
0: Yes. Yes, that is us. It's so exciting. It's so exciting to be on the board with these amazing humans. It's so exciting to work with people that are just as nerdy as I am, like just having meetings and being like, have you tried this? What about that? Blah, blah, blah. And we're opening it up, too, so that we can plug in third-party tools. So all the super popular tools, you're going to be able to plug them in. So if you already own Screen, we don't currently have a plug-in for that. But obviously, the first customer that is a customer of Screen that wants to plug it in, oh, yeah, we're just going to build these little... Um, plugin so that you can see all the results for all your tools and you can call it out from this one place. And it just, oh my gosh, it's so exciting. Because a problem that I have always had as an AppSec engineer is, okay, so I have 400 folders with like 600 reports. And then I'm trying to like copy and paste from all these different formats. Like I used to use at this one place we used appscan and burp suite and then i was trying to like copy and paste from the different reports <laughs> into the same thing and i was like i just wish i had a cve file and then i could just use my excel foo on it and then i'm trying to explain to management like listen this one team's having serious problems but it was so hard to spot the trends and then you know i would use like something like threadfix or defect dojo and i'd put all the stuff in there and i'm like okay this is so much better but now imagining they could just automatically like the one tool calls everything and then amalgamates all the information. I'm just like, oh my god! I'm so excited!
1: I'm <laughs> so, so cool. excited! Yes, I understand completely your uh, your feelings and your excitation and that, Tanya, because when you are doing security for a while, and one thing that is frustrating is that uh, in the end, it's all humans doing the work and scaling human is pretty hard. So when you manage to find with a tool that will help you actually solve a whole category of problem and that you can actually release that and get that used by customers. Yes, the excitation uh, is amazing. And it was my feeling when launching Screen, like seeing that we actually started to solve pains of customers uh, at scale. That's an amazing reward. So thanks a lot. Tania, for everything you you shared with us today, all your uh, experience, I really enjoyed having you uh, abroad. I'm really looking forward to reading your book soon and sharing it with my teams, and I'm super excited for that. Thanks a lot for coming with us on AppSec Builders today, Tania.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Jv. Thanks for listening to this episode of AppSec Builders. You can find all the resources discussed during this show on www.appsecbuilders.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to get updates on our upcoming episodes.